0: Hello, I'm Alex Mansfield with Manny Things, and welcome to another episode of Manny Talk Shooting, the show where I talk to individuals all across the shooting industry. We'll talk competition, self defense, concealed carry. If you enjoy this content, check out our YouTube channel, Manny Things. Without further ado, let's get to this episode. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Manny Talk Shooting. Today, I am honored to sit down with Ms. Keita Bussey of 180 Firearms Training. How are you doing today, Keita? Awesome. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Today is a wonderful day here. This will be episode number 26 for any of you actually listening in order. If not, just keep skipping around to find the good ones that you like, everybody. So I've got Kita today on, and she is a movement coach for the shooting sports and a whole lot of other stuff. Um, so a little, first of all, who's Kita? Kita, who are you? Uh,
1: like you said, I'm a movement coach for the shooting sports. I've been doing this since... 2010, I wrote a book, Smart Move, Economy of Motion for the Shooting Sports, currently working on my next book, Train Smart. So the first book talks a lot about footwork and movement and vision training. The second book is more giving you the tools you need to be your own coach.
0: Ooh, that'll be an exciting book. I have Smart Move. It's like a college level textbook, I want to say. It's actually a really good book. I'm actually on my second read of your book um so that's always a good thing so guys if you don't have a book go check it out it's actually it's 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 worth the big ass book that's heavy
1: (laughs) it is it is a textbook with all of the references citations included you can go to the back of the book and see my ginormous list of references so i'm not just making this stuff up it is based on science Mm
0: -hmm. yesterday's reading was i was reading about um start positions And like, uh, specifically the table starts, you know, how people will be super leaned out far forward and your book does a really good job of exaggerating, like the very odd positions that people don't really want to be in when they do a table start.
1: Yeah. So in my book, I tried to appeal to different learning styles. Mm -hmm. Everyone is a visual learner, but there are some people who also need, you know, the science behind it, the references, things like that. They want the textbook. And there are other people who just are more like comic book reading style. Mm -hmm. So I do have all the pictures laid out sort of in a comic book style. So if you look at the pictures and read the text box, if that's your style of learning, that is designed for you and you have read the book, Mm -hmm. if that is your style. But then if you're not sure about something, you can go into the text and find your answer.
0: Now, what made you land on that format of book? Because there's a lot of different shooting style books and shooting educational books out there that don't typically follow the style.
1: I really wanted to appeal to every different learning style out there. So like I said, if you're more of a comic book person, you're not going to read all that text. You can still look through the pictures, read the little text box, and you have read the book. But also, you know, if you're more of a college level textbook reading kind of person, you can get every little detail out of it that you want to get, and you can go back and check the sources. Plus, I had some of the top shooters from around the world make contributions. So, in the back of the book, you can go to the um, the index, and it will give you which pages all the drills are on. So if you just want the drills, you can go right to the drills. If you just want the stuff from the top shooters, you can go right to your favorite top shooter and see what they had to say. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is that you want, there's an index for that.
0: Yeah. I love this book. This book is a very good read, especially for some, as someone who's not taken your class yet, um, it's still very eye opening. And I know that people who have taken your course, who really recommend your book as a supplement as well. So did you, um, Did you really design it to have to take your course or?
1: No. No, I wanted it to be independent of the course so I could disseminate this information. But it does help to take the course and actually see it in action, especially if there's something you're not sure about. Pictures can only do so much. And I tried to lay them out in sort of that old karate book style Mm-hmm. where it's sort of pictures in sequence where if you would flip through them it would look like a video. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of follow the movements that way, but it is more effective to see it in person and drives the points home a little bit better. And explaining things having a conversation versus reading through it is very helpful.
0: Right. I think when I think when you meet, mentioned the that kind of style is like when you were talking about the fire hydrant how people Yes. Can, uh... That is that is very much uh, a needed graphic, which is very, it's very real. Just, I, I'm surprised people do that, though. I would th- think it, like, instinctually is just drop step out. Right.
1: Well, the sport has changed a lot. And you would think that now, but ten, mm-hmm. rewind 10 years ago, people didn't know. This book has become common knowledge.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you think, oh, well, everybody knows this. Well, that's because of the book.
0: Right. So, Keita, have you taken any formal training from anyone?
1: I'm pretty much self-taught. So I've done all my own research. You know, back in 2010, when I started, Mm -hmm. we didn't have all the YouTube videos to watch that you do now. We didn't have all the instruction that you have now. It was very much people were
0: self-taught at that time. Yeah. Yeah. There weren't
1: even any books out there. I mean, there were a few, but not many.
0: Yeah, I would probably write. Uh, I don't even know when Steve's books came out. I felt I felt those were like the. first. Oh, yes. Books.
1: His were his were actually out. I think he had two out at that time. And I did read both of his books and followed his program.
0: And it's definitely a different look. I would even say Steve's teaching or book style is. um different from what most people are doing nowadays a lot of i feel like a lot of steve's tech um information is a lot for the old stand and shoot and deliver kind of stuff when right it's not that doesn't make a well-rounded shooter it, it helps make a, a shooter but not as well-rounded as we need to well, be nowadays
1: it's about making grandmaster right mm-hmm. so to make grandmaster all you have to do is do well on classifiers
0: mm-hmm. yes all the old ones where you stand in a box and they do. Right. I, would, I will say, a lot of people like myself. I we do not give enough credit to uh, strong hand weekend. And when it comes up, it's like, oh shit, <laughs> gotta shoot strong. Hand. <laughs> like like at nationals. The nationals just ended for race gun. Yes. Last week and then the week before was PCCCO. There was a lot of strong hand weekend on different stages. And if you weren't ready for it, you it, it kind you could lose your match right there. It'll eat your lunch. Yeah. And uh, Keita, you like to travel all across, the con- all across the country and all across the world teaching classes. Um, yeah. Where is the favorite place you have traveled to? New Zealand. Why New Zealand?
1: Because, well, that's where all the movies are filmed. So it's just very surreal when you look around and you see all these unrecognized, unrecognizable trees and foliage that's just like, from a movie on a place that doesn't exist in real life. Mm-hmm. But it actually does. Because that's where they film all the movies.
0: Right. I think I think what I, I like New Zealand. But I, I'm a very big uh, J.R.L. Tolkien fan. Yes. And, uh, yes. I, have you watched all the really long ones?
1: Yes. I watched the movies. Of course, as always, not as good as the book.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: I read the books when I think I was in... I don't know seventh eighth grade loved them long before the movies were thought of as i'm aging myself
0: <laughs> but yeah i mean god I, I it was so hard to sit through all those movies though too though they were really long really
1: Oh, long. Well, i did watch them but yeah the books were better
0: yes they, those were really thick books though too
1: Yeah. And they always made me hungry because the the guys in the books were always starving and Mm. traveling with really nothing to eat. So I would always have to be eating the whole time I was reading
0: the books. Yep. That would be a good and a bad thing. I mean, I I, I could just sit there and snack all day, but right. And then then you look at yourself after that, you're done with the book. Oh, there's another 10 pounds (laughs) in potato chips, but. Now, keto. Um, you, you you, only shoot production or uh, is it, it's not. Is it production in ipsic still? Yes.
1: Okay. So I've shot PCC, I've shot limited, and now I'm back to production.
0: Do you keep coming back to production or is it just something you enjoy?
1: I like production because it's cheap. I'm a cheap date, so I shoot production.
0: It's <laughs> a good pickup line, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but is it besides it being cheap, is there something else that brings, you know, that makes you keep coming back to production?
1: I like the challenge.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, you have more reloads. You really have to think out your plan more because you don't have all the rounds everyone else does. mm mm-hmm. So I do like the challenge of production. And I like true. being mentally challenged.
0: That is true. I mean, you got to stick your, reload, stick those reloads, stick to your stage <clears> and um, find that spot or that position. Because if you miss your position, you're SOL really, or it messes up your whole rest of your plan. But comparing right. USPSA to IPSC, is production the like pretty much the only division other than the round count that is the same?
2: Um.
1: Well, they have production optics, which is very much like carry optics, except in IPSC it's limited to 15 rounds, just like production.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they do have PCC, but they are limited to, I believe, 32 rounds in IPSC, where we don't have that limitation in USPSA. Um, limited is comparable to standard. Mm-hmm. So those are pretty similar. And then open is open.
0: Gotcha. Open, yeah. And, and
1: now with, with our new rule changes where we no longer have hip bones in USPSA, we can put our gun and mags wherever we want on our belt.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's another difference in production for them. They have to have everything behind their hip bones.
0: Right. And how many IPSC matches do you say you get to shoot <clears> on <throat> a typical year, excluding COVID?
1: Oh, before COVID,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I think in, so 2019, before all this happened, I shot South African nationals, Australian nationals. I shot a match in Estonia. I think that was it that year. So I shot three IPSC matches internationally.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, I've shot in Canada as well. Yeah, so maybe three a year.
0: So you've been to South Africa. So oh, have... and
1: sorry, in Asia as well. So I guess four. <laughs>
0: four. There you go. And then when was the Philippines? No, not the Philippines. The Australasia. Yeah, it was. Is that the Philippines?
1: Australasia was in the Philippines. Okay. That was 2019, I believe.
0: Mm-hmm. I think so. I think. Yeah, that looked like a good match from what I saw. That looked like a good. Yeah, match. it was a
1: very good match.
0: But, um, so if you've been to South Africa, have you met, um, Garrett, John Evans?
1: Yes. He's one of my students.
0: Excellent. I like Gaz. We, uh, we talk from time to time. So,
1: yeah, he was in my very first train smart class, the advanced class. I actually created it for that group.
0: That's pretty So It was
1: actually a one day class at the time Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I was there teaching movement. So they, they all took my train smart class and they said, so uh, what else you got? I was like, well, I'll I'll give you something. And I hopped on the plane to get there. It was a one hour flight. I wrote my curriculum, landed, taught the one day class. And I was like, Ooh, this is really good. I'm going to turn this into a two day class, which I've now done. And Mm -hmm. it's really awesome. What it is, is not movement. It's giving you the tools you need to train and coach yourself. Okay. So when I would take a potential world champion to the range for a private lesson, it's basically the ropes I would put them through completely messing with their heads the entire time we're training. Mm-hmm.
0: Getting them so to, it's really fun. <laughs> right. And it gets them to kind of think about how they're doing things or what they're doing.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's bringing a lot of pressure to their practice. Mm-hmm. So I'm just basically messing with their heads the entire time.
0: Gotcha. I mean, we have to some way. You've got to put pressure into practice because there's always a pressure in a match, and
1: exactly. And,
0: and if there's no no added pressure of <clears throat> performance, I mean, you're like, okay, that was okay.
1: And then I also teach my formula for evaluating consistency, pushing to your one hundred percent or dialing it back. Mm-hmm. So I actually have a formula written out where all they have to do is plug in their numbers. And it mm-hmm. tells them what they need to train on more, what they're doing okay in, what they should focus on more. And it tells them exactly how much they can dial it back by or amp it up by.
0: Excellent. That's a cool idea. That's a, that'll be a cool class. How many uh, have the, of those classes have you taught outside of that uh, South African class?
1: Oh, I've taught several. It was a one day class up until last weekend. I taught the first two day class in Texas. So now there's a PowerPoint and a workbook that accompany the class. Mm -hmm. It also has a couple of mini competitions included, which I really like because it pushes the guys, it pits them against one another. So then they're feeling that pressure and that drive and it really challenges them. Excellent.
0: Excellent. And these are all available to just email you to book.
1: Yep, you can just email me. We can set up a class in your area. It's 180 firearms training at gmail.com.
0: So guys, if you're listening to this point, don't fail out on us. We got lots to more talk about. But yes, go hit up key. If you want to get kita for a class, movement or train smart, make sure you guys her up. Uh, I mean Yeah, uh, and the,
1: the smart move class is actually a prerequisite. I don't teach the footwork in the train smart class. At that point, I'm expecting that. that you are applying it. So when we shoot a stage, I'm watching for you to do that footwork that you learned in the previous class.
0: That's good. And then to then make sure you get repeat repeat students and people who want to keep developing themselves, which is always a nice thing. Right. Has anyone tried to get out of taking smart move to take train smart?
1: Yes. <laughs> so what I've done is if you're a grandmaster,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: can take the train smart class without taking the smart move class. But then they show up to the train smart class and they're confused why I'm not teaching footwork <laughs> because that's in the previous class. So then they always go back and take
0: the smart move class. Mm-hmm. Do you get a lot of repeat students for either for your movement class specifically?
1: Yes. So the movement class, the smart move class is a maintenance class.
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It's kind of like when you read a book and you pick it up again, 10 years later, you're going to get completely different things out of it because you're at a different place in your life with new experiences. So what I do is I meet the students where they're at, whatever level they're at, then They go work on what I gave them, train on it, get better, come back. I meet them where they're at in this new place and give them all new stuff.
0: Excellent. I know. And like I said, I've been the pre-show. I know a lot of people, I would say a lot of people that actually have taken your course and highly recommend you um, which is awesome. And I, I know they've taken a lot from your, your teachings, which is speaks highly of you, especially when they're high level M's and GM's and,
1: Awesome. Yeah. I've actually taken a lot of shooters from C or D class all the way up to grandmaster.
0: That is pretty cool. Not a lot of people can say that. Not a lot. Now, Keita, what kind of drives you in your shooting?
1: What drives me?
0: Right. Yeah. What kind of drives or motivates you to keep shooting and uh, progress your skills and then even uh, motivates you to be a better instructor?
1: Well, for me, the reward is coaching. Mm -hmm. So I shoot just because it's fun. I don't shoot really super competitively. That's not what drives me. What drives me is I want to see my students succeed. I want to see my students get first place, make GM, achieve their goals. And to me, that's much more rewarding. So that's where my focus is. Mm -hmm. but I still have to be a good enough shooter that I can demonstrate the drills and show them what to do.
0: Right. Gotcha. Now, do you have any current goals for like the business or even maybe shooting in general?
1: Yeah. So my next book coming out, Train Smart is, you know, just like I told you the last book, became common knowledge and it has completely changed the sport from where it was when you were probably in high school. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So that has completely changed the sport. This book is going to do the same thing, but in a totally different way, Mm -hmm. it's going to change the way people coach themselves. So I'm one of those where, yes, I can tell you what to do, but I'd rather teach you to fish, then give you a fish, so to right.
0: speak. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, uh, I know, are you still bum footed at this point after Aruba?
1: Yes. I got shot with a ricochet in the ankle. It split my post-tibial tendon. So that was fun.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so in the train smart class, there is only one drill I have to demonstrate and it's a stand and shoot drill on transition. So I can easily demonstrate that with my foot being injured, but at this point, I can't demonstrate in the smart move class. I can't teach the footwork. I have to have, I have, um, Sam Callahan has taken my class several times. He's an instructor in the New Jersey area
2: mm-hmm. and
1: he can come out and demonstrate the movements if needed. It should be another month before I can actually start running and demonstrating again.
0: Gotcha. So you're on the mend. no, no major surgery, just some rest and some rehab, right? Right. That's always good. That's it. It sucks to see people get laid up like that. I mean, it's a very freak accident because it didn't even come off of your bay. Was it?
1: No, it was another shooter (laughs) in another bay. In Aruba, they have these big flat rocks all over the berm. So it just changed the trajectory of the bullet
0: and hit me in the ankle (laughs) at what point did you figure out that you'd been hit by something
1: immediately immediately (laughs) yeah all day long we were hearing zing 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 Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know bullets flying over our heads when it happened i have a video of it happening and you can zoom in and see the bullet right by my ankle immediately after it hit me i picked my foot up in the air and i looked around like who done it? I got a gun too. But didn't see anyone, didn't see anything. And I looked at the RO and went, I think I've been shot. <laughs> she didn't say anything. So she was actually very new to the shooting sports. And she was ROing, running the timer, mm-hmm. but was very new and didn't know that she probably should have said stop.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But because she didn't say stop, I was like, all right, well, I'll keep shooting. I finished the stage and was literally carried back to a bench where a doctor who was shooting the match came and looked at my ankle. And he said, Oh, maybe you just pulled a muscle. I was like, No, I got shot.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that must have put a damper on that, that whole Aruba trip. You, well, you finished the match. Did you finish the match? I did.
1: I finished the match. Most stages had walls I was able to hang on to Mm -hmm. to kind of move myself through the stage. There was one stage with no walls to hang on to, so I drew my gun, shot what I could see, and then stopped because I couldn't get myself to the rest of the targets and had to zero the stage.
0: Oof. At least you finished the match, though.
1: Yeah, I did.
0: Was Was the training class before the match or after the match? It was after.
1: Oof. (laughs) so luckily one of the other guys from the u.s team was kind enough to stay who has taken my class several times and demonstrated the movements for me
0: and is that one of your co-hosts on your podcast
1: no on my podcast i have grant chancellor madison from south africa he Mm -hmm. is a former student and mike seifert from new jersey Mm -hmm. he shoots pcc he's only taken a two-hour private lesson. He's never actually taken the full class.
0: Gotcha. Well, now that we've talked about it, you want to tell these listeners about your podcast?
1: Yeah, I have a 180 firearms training podcast. We are on episode... Well, I believe it's released through episode seven currently.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And we basically just sit down and talk about shooting for an hour, the three of us. It's very fun. We always, it's always shocking when that hour comes up and we're like, we're out of time already. We just want to keep on going because we can talk about shooting in our sleep.
0: Oh yeah. I know even just doing this, like even just having a conversation, you were like, where the hell did all this time go? You know, it's, it's insane how much, you know, how much time flies when you're actually having fun.
1: The hard part is Grant is actually seven, uh, seven hours ahead of me. So the timing can get a little sticky. Sometimes he has to stay up until midnight so that we can record after Mike is done with work. Mm -hmm. So we try to do a few at a time. Our next one we're going to do is unfunk yourself. Ooh, that'll be a good one to listen to. So when you shoot a match, didn't do how you had hoped and get into a funk, how do you get out of it? How do you debrief yourself after a major match?
0: Yes. And I definitely understand that South African time zone difference. I recorded with uh, Garrett and it was like, all right, we got to find the time that works for both of us. So, luckily, it wasn't too late. The power didn't get shut off. And you wouldn't think that's a real thing, but I guess it is in South Africa. Yes. They have
1: scheduled power outages in South Africa to. keep everything going it's like okay it's my turn to not have power for the next four hours or whatever it may be
0: that I, I i mean we don't i'm glad we don't have those situations around here i mean unless you're in california i guess i mean they have those kind of issues but
2: well
1: what happens there is the people who are homeless mm-hmm. collect the wires from the power lines And they make baskets and things out of them and sell them to tourists to make money. So the more power lines they put up, the more get stolen. And they make things out of these power lines and sell them.
0: What? They sell power line baskets? This is a thing.
1: That's a thing. Like, that's part of the reason they have so much trouble and they have to schedule power outages.
0: To put more power lines up so the homeless can steal them again.
1: Right.
0: Right. I will never understand. this. Part. You can't make this stuff up. No, you can't. It's so absurd that you can't. Oh, that's cool. Yes. And guys, if you don't listen to it, go, go check out what eighty firearms training podcast, um, you're going to, you're planning to continue this for a while. even after you're, yeah. you're back and moving again, that's good.
1: Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> I do know some people who start things and projects and then like when they're crippled or handicapped at the moment, then they're like, Oh, we're done with this now. I'm, I, I'm back on my feet and back to normal life. <laughs> now I do want to break into some listener questions because I think we've got a yeah. fairly good amount of listener questions. Um, this one comes and This one is um, what are some mental strength exercises to keep your last stage performance high? To
1: keep your last stage performance Oh, for the last stage of the match.
0: Right. Yeah. Or the last stage of the second day of nationals. So they, you know,
1: so what you do is you treat it as a separate match. Mm -hmm. Everything that already happened was your last match. Now you're coming in fresh to a brand new match. So this is what I would recommend for like a three day match. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So day one, day two, that's done going into day three. I'm just going to go shoot a local club match, but be a little more respectful with my hits. So you treat it as a brand new match.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, As far as the last stage, that's a little bit more tricky. So I have this drill. I call the kamikaze. Okay. What it is, it's a plate rack and you shoot each plate from a different position, moving a different direction each time. So you're basically out of breath from running by the time you get there. And then you have to switch from moving mode to shooting mode and have visual patience and get that hit. Mm -hmm. If you miss you're out. Okay. So I do this in my train smart class. So that builds the pressure. As you go through the plates, you get to that very last one and that carries the most pressure. Mm -hmm. So what you need to do is probably dial it back a little bit to be consistent. If you're in the lead and you have a good lead, you're just going to be consistent. Just get through it without messing up. Mm -hmm. You know, don't make any giant mistakes, mitigate that risk. If you are behind, Mm -hmm. you might as well lay it all out there because you got to risk it for the biscuit. If you don't lay it all out there, you're not going to win anyway. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: push for your hundred percent.
0: Okay. I think I, I think I've seen this drill. I think Jessica hook posted this drill a while back. I think maybe, I think it was part of your class. I know it was, I know, I know you taught this, but I can't remember if it was a video from your class or not, but um, here's another question. What are some vision speed exercises that don't require live ammo?
1: Oh, there are a lot of those. You can even just look it up on your phone vision training and you can, um, Well, actually, I'm making a new dry fire kit with Go Fast, Don't Suck. Bill Duda is making it for me. It'll be going live soon.
0: Well, that'll be awesome.
1: So in this kit, it has eye training exercises. So one of the things you can do is practice saccades. Saccades are what your eyes do when they're transitioning from one target to another. So just practice snapping your eyes from one spot to another spot to another spot. And during a saccade, you're not getting any visual input. It's like a blink. Mm -hmm. So the saccade gets you past that edge of the target to the spot. You actually want to aim at because you're not taking in any visual input during the saccade. You don't want your vision to stop at the edge of the target and then have to adjust you want it to go straight to your spot. right? So that's what you're practicing with the saccades. The other vision movement we use with shooting is a smooth visual pursuit. And that's more for moving targets. It is slower, saccades are much faster. So that's when your eyes are moving with a moving target. The problem is your eyes have to match the pace of the moving target. So you use a saccade to jump to the target while it's moving, and then you have to match the pace. And what happens when you miss the moving target is that your eyes have mismatched the pace. So then you use another saccade to move to where the target moved to, but by the time they get there, it's already gone. Mm -hmm. So to practice matching the pace, first of all, when you look at a moving target during a walkthrough, You want to only look at it at the speed it will be when you engage it. Otherwise, you're training your eyes to move at the wrong pace. And by the time your eyes get to it, it's going to be gone. So don't look at it after it slows down. If you plan to engage it immediately. Mm -hmm. And to practice these eye movements, you can trace your eyes along a line just maybe where the wall meets the ceiling or something like that. And what you don't want to be feeling when you're doing this is your eyes jumping from one spot to the next, as you trace them along the line. Mm-hmm. And after you do it a few times, that does calm down a little bit, but you have to keep on doing it and then try picking up the speed, which will make it even harder. So when it jumps, that's a saccade and you want to eliminate that as much as possible during a smooth visual pursuit. So in my dry fire kit, I actually have curved lines to simulate a moving target, a swinger Mm -hmm. and straight lines that you can put in all different directions to simulate other kind of moving targets. So you can trace your eyes along those lines and try to pick up the speed, do it faster and faster without having all those little jumps.
0: Gotcha. And this will help definitely help with swingers and whatnot.
1: Yes. Yeah. I just can't believe that we don't have this kind of vision training
0: mm-hmm.
1: available in our sport, that it's just not really even a thing. And our sport is 90% vision.
0: Mm-hmm. It definitely is. Now, have you looked outside the, sh- I mean, I'm, a- I'm assuming with your book, you've looked outside the shooting sports with into other sports to come back at it and um, find proof. Um, have you found other sports or, things um, that people should look at?
1: Absolutely. The quiet eye training by Joan Vickers. She's a kinesiologist. She researched what it is that separates the elite athletes who aim from the other pro athletes who aim like what makes Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods versus some other pro golfer. Mm Mm-hmm. So she did a lot of research in a lot of different sports and she came up with the term quiet eye. That's not my terminology, but Mm -hmm. I do teach vision training based on her research. And I've gotten training through the right eye company on how to watch people's eyes while they're shooting to see if they're cicading, when it should be a smooth visual pursuit. And it's kind of, Creepy when I do this because I see every little movement of their eye and then I tell them what they did and they look at me like, how did you know I was doing that? Mm -hmm. But I don't know of anyone else in the sport who is trained to watch for the quiet eye to see this.
0: And, And do you, I'm assuming they're shooting at this point. So someone who's wearing rubies, right? Hunters HD rubies. You can see through those when it's super, when they're super dark. I look in through the side okay okay so you're you're watching on the peripherals then okay
1: yes and then i have them shoot multiple different ways and i go back and forth from one side to the other so i can see what each eye is doing in case they have some sort of issue with their eyes
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so i'm also checking for that
0: gotcha yeah because those those rubies get pretty dark so if you had to look kind of like at the straighter on angle like oof i couldn't see anything
1: (laughs) No, I can't do that anyway, because then I would be downrange. So I have to look it on the side. And and it's a good thing to have me in their peripheral vision
0: Mm -hmm.
2: because Mm
1: -hmm. that distracts them from their target. And I'm trying to teach them the quiet eye, which is basically where if you have some sort of distraction, you're focusing through it because your eyes are so focused. You might be aware of it back here, but your eyes won't move off your target.
0: Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Makes sense. Um, I think there's another question, which is kind of surprising is if there is any difference, but are there different movement strategies depending on high cap versus low cap?
1: Yeah. So basically high cap, you're probably going to have an optic. You really don't want to ever stop moving. Mm -hmm. So even if you can't shoot on the move, moving your feet, you want to at least be shifting your weight while you're shooting as much as possible. You don't want to be stopping and starting, stopping and starting and coming up with a stage plan where you can flow through the stage and really just keep on moving is going to be better even if you're adding extra steps. So what I found is adding more steps if it flows better is actually faster than going oh well that's adding two steps so I'm not going to do that
0: right and i I felt like i would agree with you that if you keep moving through a stage you're not necessarily have to shoot faster or move faster but if you constantly are that perpetual of motion going from a to b you'll get there it depending i guess depending on the stage but i'm not an expert you are so we'll listen to you on that (laughs) one um and then i one other question is um what's the importance of the grunt
1: the important importance of what of grunting Oh grunting. (laughs) Yeah. If, if you watch any of my former students, they're probably grunting. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You'll see a lot of the top guys grunting between positions. So have you ever seen someone shoot a 32nd stage and their face gets redder and redder and redder?
0: Yes. Usually because they're not breathing.
1: Exactly. So if you grunt, it compresses your diaphragm. So then what does it have to do? You have to breathe. It has to expand again. So you, Mm -hmm. it forces you to breathe, which oxygenates your eyes, your muscles, all those things. So grunting does that and actually helps with your vision because then you're breathing. It also changes your body chemistry. So if you've ever heard of those stories where a 115 pound mom sees her child stuck under a car and just lifts up the car Mm -hmm. and her kid gets out. Have you ever heard of stories like that?
0: Yes. yes. Where
1: they almost have superhuman powers? It's because what kicks in? Adrenaline. Adrenaline. So when you grunt, it activates your adrenal glands. So you get this extra burst of speed you wouldn't have had otherwise. So you can use it for one thing, to get out of a position, to use your, move your body as a whole instead of in parts, because it forces you to tighten your core, makes it easier to move out of a shooting position. The other way you can use it is if you have a long run and you've reached your maximum acceleration, you're at full speed and can't speed up anymore. If you grunt, it kicks in those adrenal glands and you get this little extra nitro burst of speed you wouldn't have had otherwise. hmm
0: Definitely makes sense. So you're saying everyone should start grunting now during their stages.
1: Yes. Grant, who is on my podcast, Mm -hmm. they actually
0: started calling
1: him grunt (laughs) because he grunts so loudly. When I grunt, you don't hear it. And I think a lot of women are that way where we just kind of bear down almost. But men have to be verbal about it.
0: Gotcha. Makes sense. Now, here's a personal question of mine. Um, when moving, um, say we're running a long distance, you know, maybe two wall, two, you know, wall sections of distance, right? So it's a fairly longer run than typical, um, what's oh, 16 so, to 20 feet, right? Yeah. So when we're running in those longer distances and we want to get kind of that full acceleration, that full movement while keeping the fire and pointed down range, what are, do you have any, some tips to improve those kind of things?
1: Yeah. So most people will Point the gun downrange using their elbow Mm
0: -hmm.
1: when they could be just using their wrist. So the gun is still at the same angle either way, but you don't see sprinters running like this. It's Mm -hmm. not efficient. It creates energy leaks. You want your elbows at your sides when you run. So just bring that elbow down and point the gun downrange with your wrist instead. It's much more efficient.
0: There we go. Yes, I've been... I was been watching my match videos, and I'm like, "There's got to be a more efficient way to run with this thing." That makes that makes sense. I'll have to try that now. But, um, yeah, so
1: I teach my students the wrist.
0: The wrist. The
1: wrist. <laughs> I call it LGBT wrist. <laughs> That's how to get out of a position efficiently.
0: There you go. I will have to be trying that now, but um. In your classes, or I don't know if it's in your class, um, do you teach people to kind of move? Do you take the gun away at some point, I'm assuming?
1: Sometimes, if I have to.
0: If they, they don't know how to run with a gun? Like if they if they yes. don't run with a gun, you got to take the gun away? And
1: Yeah, so I, I will. If somebody's scared to move around with the firearm in their hand, it suddenly changes the way they move. So it's not efficient. Then I'll take it away and we'll just race basically through a distance on the stage take the guns away on your mark get set go and we run and then i turn and say okay why didn't you run like that when the gun was in your hand you know how to run you can run efficiently but you were running like this and then i imitate whatever they were doing Mm -hmm. you know in a fun kind of teasing way (laughs) Mm-hmm. and they it, usually will click for them, and then we put the gun back in their hand dry, we race again with the gun in their hand, and then they go live.
0: And then they kind of, they, they they break that, um, the connection of, oh, I have a firearm in my hand, and I can't run. Right. Gotcha. Yes. I, I do see that a lot. See people, like, they'll piddle-paddle, or they'll they'll do a waddle, or they'll just, like, Right. You, you can run. Like if I, I mean, took
1: that gun out of your hand, you would never move that way. So why are you moving that way once a gun is in your hand?
0: Right. And, and they're not like they're handicapped or elderly. They're good bodied people who just don't, don't want to run with it. It's just a time. mental
1: block. So we take away that mental
0: block. That's always good. Now, if, I, if my memory serves correct, um, you have taught paraplegics as well and how to be better yes. movers. Yes. Um, how is that different than teaching someone, you know, who has no handicaps?
1: Well, first of all, if you can't move quickly, you have to be more efficient with getting alphas.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So if you can shoot faster and get A's, obviously that's going to help your hit factor. If you're struggling to move around, um, for people in wheelchairs, I teach them stage planning in a completely different way. So the problem is they have to reholster between every position so they can wheel their chair. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So the 50-50 reload is big. When you do a reload, start the reload in one position by dropping the mag and grabbing the next one. Keep it in your hand, like attack reload. Mm-hmm. So that you can use the rest of your fingers to wheel the chair with the mag already in your hand. And now at this point, the gun is holstered, wheel to the next position, seat the mag, and shoot. It takes about eight seconds off of a long field course for someone in a wheelchair.
0: Yeah. I uh if I remember right, I saw a wheelchair competitor. I think he was shooting nationals last year in uh frostproof. And it was very impressive to see how different the sport is. That much lower. That may
1: have been my student because uh, he's... Jim? Yes.
0: yes. He's my Jim. student.
1: He's from Florida, so I figured it was him. Yes. So I took eight seconds off of his stages just by teaching him the tack reload style mm-hmm. and how to group targets together so there are less stops because he has to holster and he can't really shoot on the move. So... Sometimes it's actually more efficient to hang onto the wheel and shoot from a hard lean one-handed rather than trying to keep both hands on and try to lean. You can get a much more efficient lean by shooting one-handed than two-handed if you can hang onto the wheel.
0: Mm -hmm. Now I'm curious, how do penalties work with fault lines in a wheelchair?
1: Usually they make an exception if they can't see a target Mm -hmm. So let's say you have to shoot through a port, but Mm -hmm. sitting in the wheelchair, you can't get up to the port. Then you're allowed to move the chair to the side of the wall and shoot around the wall instead. Um, So what they do with fault lines is look at where their feet are located in the chair. Mm -hmm. So as long as their feet aren't over the line, they're good. But there are exceptions like with the port, if they have to go around the wall, to see the targets, then obviously they're going to be outside the fault line. So there's not going to be a penalty for that.
0: Right. It's kind of just like the exception for short people in a really hot, like in a high port, they get a step stool, like the, right. just, like the Williams sisters for like, I can't <laughs> see. Right. Gotcha. No, it, it, he motivates me every day to keep practicing because if a man in a wheelchair could go out and shoot major matches, you, you can, everyone can go live life, shoot, and be happy that they have, both legs to be running around on
1: right another issue i run into with guys in wheelchairs is a lot of times they have involuntary leg spasms Mm -hmm. so their legs are going like this jumping up and down which means their gun is also jumping up and down and then how to deal with it when that happens because that's something outside their control and the way i describe it is it's kind of like when the wind is blowing really hard, you're kind of swaying a little bit. So you basically have to wait until the sights move across your target in the, and pull the trigger when it's in the right spot. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of
0: like that. Gotcha. Makes sense, makes sense. I think that was all the listener questions we had, but we have more questions, which is always a good thing. Now, Kita, I know you're you you're more of that coach, but what do you do to prepare for like a major match?
1: So, match prep, depending on the level of the match,
2: mm-hmm.
1: starts early. If it's something you've been preparing for for three years, like the World Shoot, then you're going to start preparing very early. If it's just a club match, you're probably not going to do much preparation for that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So let's. Take an area match, for example.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: About a week before, I'm going to go to the range and chrono. After I clean my gun, I'm going to test my match ammo through my match gun about 200 to 300 rounds after cleaning it just to make sure everything's working properly. Um, in the two weeks or so before the match, your training style changes. So normally in practice, you want to push until the wheels fall off. Otherwise you're never going to get better, never going to get faster. But Mm -hmm. in the two weeks or so before a match, you're not going to get any better than you already are. So now you need to practice in match mode Mm -hmm. where you're getting all alphas, maybe a few close Charlies.
0: Right. Now, is there anything, um, oh, go ahead. Sorry, Keita.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so hydration starts about two days before um, making sure you're eating well, that sort of thing. Don't do anything too crazy at the gym. So you don't get hurt. Don't get shot in Aruba. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there is a lot that goes into it. And if it's in a place you've never been to before, you might want to look up match videos from that range to see what the flavor is like, see where everything is located, familiarize yourself. Or even if you can get there before the match and go shoot a local just to kind of see what it's all about, you'll feel a lot more comfortable and confident. Even just knowing where the clubhouse is, how to get from a hotel to the range, that sort of thing. It just makes it a lot more comfortable if you know those things
0: oh agreed i i've even done like i've gone to locals this year i've been trying to explore different clubs in my area so i'll be like well i'll give this club a try and then i'll go a second time which the second time feels so much better because you've already been there you know where the bathroom is you know where the safe table is you're like all right this works for me and then you find you really cling to to the familiar (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and i've It's been interesting because I've been able to go to these different clubs locally and figure out which ones I like really, really like other than the first impressions that you get. Now, something
1: else I do. I coach people through the matchbook Mm -hmm. before their nationals or world shoot or whatever major, major match it might be
2: Mm -hmm.
1: looking at the matchbook is really a skill in itself because The stages never look the same on the ground once they're actually built and they might even change after the fact. Mm -hmm. So the matchbook is never the same. What you're looking for is particular challenges, weird start positions, awkward body positions. Is there a start position where I'm laying on a bed? Maybe I haven't practiced that in a while and I should go practice that. So I will go through the matchbook with my students and then I will come up with a training plan based on the challenges presented, not the stages themselves. We're not setting those up to practice them because it's probably going to change.
0: Oh yeah. Nothing is ever the same in the book as it is on the ground. Exactly. Except that the box is three feet by three feet. <laughs> right. <That's> about-
1: <laughs> <laughs> and if there's a classifier, something that's a standard, then mm-hmm. you can always set that up and practice it.
0: Yeah. Right. It, i mean you can because that, that'll actually be accurate so
1: right those don't change
0: no unless they want to get thrown out
1: <laughs> unless they get thrown out because they weren't set up properly <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. yes that, those are always yeah Th- those always make you sad yeah but do you get to shoot many locals throughout the year or are you just too far busy traveling to shoot locals level ones i should say
1: well living in wisconsin we don't have a whole lot of locals year round because we get snow, a lot yep. of it.
0: Yep. Here in Michigan, so same thing. we're, we're, SOL basically,
1: too. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically just during the summer months that we have matches available to us and the nearest club to me is 20 minutes away, but they don't really do a whole lot of matches there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I have to drive an hour and a half to get to a local match. And they're only available during the summer, which is the height of my traveling. So yeah. I don't really shoot a whole lot of local matches.
0: And well, I kind of know Chicago, not Chicago, Wisconsin. Is it like Schultz would like be the closest one, or like or different, or is it a different club?
1: It would be Holman Rod and oh,
0: Okay, Holman. Okay.
1: And they do have really,
0: really good stages there.
1: Nick Newbauer designs them. He does a really great job. Gotcha. So if if I want to get ready for a major match, I know if I go shoot that club match, it's gonna get me ready.
0: Gotcha. That those are always fun. I like it when people when you have good local match directors and they can get you ready for a nationals or get ready for whatever you're gonna go shoot.
1: Yeah, they do a really amazing job at this club.
0: Mm-hmm. And I know you talked about prehydration and proper nutrition to, uh, you know, preparing for matches, but um, is there like a secret formula that you personally have that for on match day, like you're going, you know, you're shooting nationals, you know, anything particularly like that, to, you know, match day nutritional stuff or no. Bill tongue. What?
1: Bill tongue. What's that? It is a dried meat made in South Africa. It is, You don't want to get the lean stuff. You want to get the fatty stuff because the fat gives you energy and you get protein and there's salt in it. So you get your electrolytes. It's like the perfect range snack. It's similar ish to our beef jerky, but it's actually really tender and moist. Unlike our dried out chewy beef jerky. And it actually tastes good.
2: Oh, there you go. (laughs) And it doesn't. Mm -hmm.
1: The problem with bead jerky is it's very concentrated. So it basically sits in your stomach in a big clump, which if you're familiar with osmosis, Mm -hmm. it's going to pull fluid into that area, wherever it is in your digestive tract. And then you can get lightheaded because you don't have as much fluid and blood pumping through your body because it's all concentrated in that one area, kind of like after you Eat a big lunch at a match. The blood is all in your stomach digesting and you feel tired and sleepy. So stay away from a big meal during a match. Another thing you can do is eat a light lunch, but stay on your next bay. That helps you keep in the mindset of shooting, have something with protein, something with fat nuts are really good for that. Um, That's a really good snack. Don't just drink water because you think, oh, I'm drinking water. I'm staying hydrated. The problem is if you're drinking water, only water, it goes right through you. It doesn't get retained. So I like body armor. Mm
2: -hmm. That's my
1: favorite hydrating beverage. It's not like Gatorade with all the salt or sugar. It's very well balanced and much more healthy for you. And they have great flavors.
0: Which is your favorite flavor?
1: Peach, the peach mango.
0: Okay. I, I always get the big bulk packs of random <clears throat> flavors. and.
1: Oh, yeah. It's much cheaper that way. Mm-hmm. They are kind of expensive, but worth it. Oh, and yes. then you're not running to the bathroom constantly every stage because you're drinking just water. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the water likes to flow through you in and out.
1: <laughs> Another thing is if you drink caffeine, make sure you... Are consuming the same level of caffeine that you do on a day to day day basis. If you are consuming less, you'll probably get a migraine. If you're consuming more, you're going to get jittery and won't be able to hit anything.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, surprisingly, I've had a lot of people we've talked. I've talked about that in the past about caffeine levels because I know I've got a few friends of mine who are coffee drinkers. Like they'll take down a pot like in the morning and like they do it. That's a lot. Yeah. Well, they're, they're holics. They, they, they <laughs> love their coffee. They know who they are, but yeah, they love their coffee.
1: Yeah. It does make your hands shake more. Even if you don't think it does, if you take it away, you'll see the difference in your shooting, mm-hmm. which is why I'm so impressed with Jerry that he actually eliminated coffee from his diet for his shooting. That is commitment right there. Cause I know I couldn't do it. I have to at least have my one cup in the morning.
0: Mm -hmm. But is your cup of coffee coffee or is it creamer with coffee?
1: It's coffee with a little bit of 2% milk.
0: Okay, there we go. So it's still coffee. It's not just like, here's my drip of coffee and everything else gets stirred into it.
1: No, I just, I don't really like, like sweet stuff. I'm not sweet.
0: Here's my, here's Oh, I think this is one of my favorite ones. What, what made you want to start teaching?
1: Uh, wasn't really something I chose Mm
0: -hmm.
1: initially. It just kind of happened. (laughs) Gotcha. I didn't seek it out. It just kind of fell in my lap. Um, I was a nurse and helped people learn how to move efficiently after surgery. So I just noticed things that other people didn't see. Mm-hmm. And people started noticing me noticing. <laughs> and it just kind of snowballed from there.
0: At what point did people say you should start teaching?
1: Uh, it was about two years after I started observing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I was actually, it's weird. I was a coach before I was a shooter. Okay.
0: Okay. Was, that was my next question after that. So, okay. But um, did you get a, did you see great, um, not great success, but uh, did you see a great pull for you having like, after people saying, Hey, you should start teaching to people wanting to take that class, like, and actually have your first class kind of form.
1: Yeah. It happened pretty quickly. As soon as I put it out there that I was going to start doing it, people were all like movement what's that Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: you would never think that now because it's become a thing but at that time nobody talked about movement nobody taught movement it you couldn't even find any research on movement for shooting it just didn't exist
0: right especially not in this context like Well, I think when, before I started competitively shooting, you thought of, you know, you didn't want movement. You wanted to be, have a styled platform, you know, you know, just shooting down a lane or at a bullseye target. So you, before, before competitive shooting, there's no real need, reason to move with a firearm. I mean, other than in like a duty sense or like a
1: right. it's, mindset. What I got when I started doing this was this is a shooting sport, not a moving sport. What is this woman doing? Mm-hmm. And now everyone talks about movement and people are using my book and teaching it, using that for their curriculum.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So I think it's amazing how far the sport has come in the last, you know, 11 years since I started teaching this.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, have you taught any of the people in like our law enforcement or military spectrum, like in like a private setting, like you were contracted for a class
1: I can't really address that question.
0: That's fine. <laughs> well, then. Because Which we, I suppose answers that question. <laughs> a little bit, but it's, it's good to see that <laughs> for years, um, those type of people have brought competitive shooters in, top world level champions, to teach their guys how to shoot. So it's good to see that they are supposedly getting a more better uh, movement training.
1: That very well could be. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> but um, are there any matches that you're looking forward to? I know it's kind of hitting the off season for us cold folks up here in the bullshit of the Midwest, but are there any matches you're looking forward to for 2022?
1: Definitely going to shoot nationals. I always shoot nationals Uh, depending where area five is. I will. That's my area. So I would shoot area five unless it's way over in Ohio, which I don't care to travel to. Sorry. Sorry. You guys in Ohio
0: uh you know, area five is in michigan it's at uh Brooklyn oh, it sportsman is. center so all right it, it's not a uh too far drive i mean it's still a far drive from wisconsin far i shot
1: it there the last time it was there so i will probably shoot that as long as i'm i don't have any scheduling conflicts i usually shoot wisconsin section and minnesota section as well
0: mm-hmm.
1: um i do plan on actually shooting an idpa match in california
0: Scandalous. No, you have you to have an IDPA movement class though, too.
1: So the thing is, IDPA has completely different movement than USPSA. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a new curriculum just for IDPA movement. So I'm going there to teach an IDPA movement class and then I'll shoot a match with them.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's a lot more hard leans in IDPA than uh, USPSA yeah. getting in and out of that position and... See, I yes, listen, I listen and- to your podcast. I know what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> and I have a reload movement drill just for them so they can figure out exactly at what point is it worth dumping rounds to do a regular reload versus doing tack reload.
0: Because mm-hmm. it, it takes significant amount of time to do those tack reloads unless you have like the ultimate gamer vest, right?
1: And it can take, depending on the person, a significant amount of time to dump rounds.
0: Mm-hmm. yes that that is that is a true statement as well especially so people who can't where do you
1: that. draw the line for you the mm-hmm. answer is it depends it's going to be individual it's
0: and that it seems like it's always the answer there's no this is the answer there's well these are the answers it, it depends it depends it always depends so that'd be cool um yeah you you were bummed up by the aruba was way before minnesota and wisconsin this year but that's okay you still got you. You still went to the section, although didn't you? Because I did.
1: I went and hung out with Brian. I brought Pixie with me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Got to didn't... talk to some people. Yeah. Cheer them on. There you go. <laughs> From my chair <laughs> with my with my boot and my crutches.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you were at the party center, though, so I mean, they they could just come to you.
1: Right. Exactly. Well, the mystery was... machine.
0: Yeah. Don't tell. I should tell. I should text Brian that and say. It's the mystery machine now.
1: He calls it the mystery van.
0: Yeah. yeah. Because I
1: said what happens in the van stays in the van.
0: Yeah, that's true. It does stay in the van. (laughs) I do like that. He is smart, though. He has the magnet decals on the van. So when he's driving down the road, it's not plastered with, I've got guns in the back. Right, exactly. (laughs) He definitely does not under or overthink anything. He knows what he's looking for.
1: That's accurate.
0: Now, Kita, what is something that current Kita would like to tell past Kita about shooting?
1: About shooting?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, current Kita would tell past Kita, hey, you're going to like shooting at some point. So maybe you should pick up a gun mm-hmm. because I was raised in a house with no guns and just had no idea what I was missing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: My parents weren't anti gun by any means, they just didn't have any.
0: Right. And there are a lot of people, I think, in this country, in this world that are just like that. They just, at least in America, because it's so much easier to get a gun than, like, South Africa or Eastern, uh, Eastern Europe. It's...
1: Yeah, I think I was maybe 28, something like that, the first time I picked up a pistol.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, not like I was raised with guns in the house. Mm -hmm. and then we've got pixie who's got all the guns she could want a live-in coach and she's just like "Eh, it's fun to plink around a little bit but she doesn't want to
0: compete well yeah i mean she's only a teenager maybe maybe she'll figure it out in the next couple years maybe man if i had that opportunity
1: my whole life growing up Mm -hmm. i would have been all over that
0: i mean yeah i mean pixie might not have a choice she'll become one of the next williams sisters right (laughs)
1: <laughs> well they started when they were really young
0: mm-hmm.
1: she's already i mean she's only a couple of years younger than them
0: right she's yeah i think they started when they were like nine maybe nine or ten if my uh my fact checking is correct but
1: but could you imagine make creating all those pathways as a child
0: mm-hmm.
1: and having those into adulthood for shooting how mm-hmm. awesome would that be
0: Oh, that'd be insane. That'd be, that'd be, you could make the next Grafell doing that.
1: God. I mean, we, as adults, adult learning, we have to take the knowledge we already have the experiences we already have and basically take an indirect route from point A to point B where they just get to draw the line. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: That is true. I wish I. I think everyone kind of wishes they started this sooner. Especially like even the person who, you know, person who just bought a gun, you know, just able to purchase their own firearm. who start who finds it accidentally. They're like, I wish I found, you know, they're everyone saying that. I don't think anyone has said, I wish I found this later.
1: (laughs) Well, the thing is, the general public doesn't know USPSA exists. Mm -hmm. I didn't.
0: Yeah. Neither did I.
1: I wish we could make this more common knowledge.
0: Yeah, it would, it would be nice. I, I don't see without the, without the political climate changing. I don't see it happening anytime soon to make it like mainstream, like ESPN. I mean, you already have to pay for the outdoors channel to get shooting USA. So you got to have to have an obscure channel on your television. If you still have television, <laughs> I mean, that's like the only place I see it on, or you could find it on television, right? Because it's not on like USPSA, eight the ocho, or anything like that. <laughs> Maybe it should be, but um, have you had um? What has been your biggest aha moment, like in shooting or in training or instructing?
1: My biggest one was. Well, (laughs) I I suppose it was recognizing that movement wasn't being addressed Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, 12 years ago, whatever that was. 2010. Oh, my goodness. That's almost 12 years ago. It has. Yeah, uh... so recognizing that this was completely lacking in the sport. It just didn't exist. Nobody talked about it Mm -hmm. and making it a thing. And now I'm trying to do the same sort of thing with vision. Why are we not training our eyes?
0: Right. Every other sport does it. Every other sport does it micro drills and mm-hmm. vision training, cognitive, uh, ability training to enhance their athletes. Because everyone who shoots competition is a shooting athlete. I mean, we might not all have that physical aspect <clears> or, uh, physical anatomy of a athlete in our mind, but we all are athletes.
1: It's, it's just not as sexy as shooting fast splits.
0: Right. But when you can shoot fast bullets and move really good. It's the right, right. Like, like a Grafell or JJ or Max, even though all of them have three completely different styles of shooting. Right. They all make it look sexy. So,
1: something really crazy that I saw Eric doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He was, he had his gun indexed on the target in front of him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Hadn't pulled the trigger yet on the second shot. And his eyes were already on his next target.
0: Between the split, during the split between the one and two, exactly. I was already on the next target. Oh my Lord.
1: Yes. So what happened with this research I was telling you about with Joan Victor, Vickers, she mm-hmm. figured out that once you create the command from your eyes to your body, your body can simply follow through.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Your eyes don't have to be on what you're aiming at anymore. Like basketball players, they're looking at the f- this tiny point on the front of the rim. But when they're jumping to take the shot, they're not looking at it anymore. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. So as long as you can keep the gun still and not pull it off the target with your eyes, which is a difficult thing to try and separate, which obviously Eric can, mm-hmm. then you don't have to be looking at that target anymore on the second shot which is not something I'm recommending by any means. It's just something I've observed.
0: Yes. Eric is like the shooting God.
1: Superhuman.
0: Yeah. <laughs> He's a shooting, machine. Sh- yeah. Terminator, cyborg, shooting right. Superman. I'll, I'll coin that one right now. Souping shooter man, shooting Superman.
2: He
1: steps up to the line and you're wondering if the gun's just going to like move out of his hip, like in the movies.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> like <It's-> Robocop.
0: <laughs> uh. And he's, and he's not a spring chicken either, but he keeps looking like he's getting younger and he's in like the best shape of his life. Right?
1: Well, he was doing this thing with, um, all of his friends with, uh, one of those watches that keeps track of your steps. And mm-hmm. he's just so competitive that he had to win and get the most steps, but his wife is super competitive as well. So she was really challenging him and pushing him. And he lost a lot of weight during that time.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: now he's really gotten into the gym a lot more.
0: Yeah,, he definitely has. Now as Keto, we're wrap, kind of coming to the wrapping up the show, I, I have a couple last questions, but what are things that people can start either start doing or stop doing to get better?
1: Um, as far as movement? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, so as far as movement, start shooting targets while shifting your weight and stop running from one spot to another, like start, stop, start, stop, like red light, green light, (laughs) squid games, no squid
2: games. (laughs) No squid games.
1: Try to flow through instead of I'm going to run over here and then stop and then shoot. Now I'm going to run over here and then stop and then shoot. Find ways to blend everything together.
0: I would say that's very sound advice. Save time that way. A lot of time,
1: approximately three seconds per field course.
0: And that's just, if you don't have a million micro stops to have to get these positions. Right. Yes. That, those are actually some pretty good things. If anything you guys take away from this podcast, those should be. Right no, squid no, squ- oh, yeah. Yeah, no squid games. No squid. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now, um, uh, not including your sponsors currently, who are some of your some of your biggest mentors and supporters?
2: Hmm.
1: Um. Definitely JJ.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He has helped me a lot. He's very knowledgeable, and kind of balances me out a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. He's probably the biggest one. Um, Also, my students. I Mm -hmm. keep in contact with my students after you take a class. Um, I'm now creating an email list so I can keep in touch and track their progress. But also just the support I get back from my students and the encouragement is really nice. And I love seeing them succeed. So I have 180 firearms training. It's actually 180 FT movement coaching on Facebook for alumni
2: mm-hmm.
1: where I can track their progress, celebrate small victories and things like that. And for me, that's rewarding to see them
2: succeed.
0: Mm-hmm. I think any good coach, instructor, teacher loves it when they're a, uh, or even parent. I mean, you everyone loves it when their their child succeeds, right? Of and course. <laughs> like i did that
1: (laughs) no they did that i'm just very proud
0: (laughs) right exactly
1: they put in the work i just showed them the way
0: right i made that (laughs) (laughs) yeah those are some good uh i agree those are some good people who are supporters that is fantastic now we got to pay some bills who are the people who support you like your sponsors
1: Ipsic store slash Eman tech out of Estonia is my biggest sponsor. Supervel ammunition. Um, go fast. Don't suck. Makes my Jersey. So I actually designed my Jersey when it was a different company. Mm-hmm. And then they were bought out by go fast. Don't suck. And I thought, Oh no, I'm going to be memed,
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but Bill's actually been really cool to work with. He's making me a, a new t-shirt right now. It's I flip and catch. Oh, I'm not wearing it. Uh, <laughs> so on the sleeve, right where the RO is standing, it says I flip and catch. And then on the other sleeve, it's my logo. So mm-hmm. that's my first of many t-shirt designs. I think I've got about 30 of them, but we'll see how this goes 1st Mm-hmm. Bill will be selling those at matches and they'll be on his website, gofastdontsuck.net, not .com, .net.
0: I saw that the other day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, he posted up down below because I made this whole nice, beautiful ad and it said gofastdontsuck.com three times. And he comments, it's .net. Mm-hmm. And I replied, swear word. <laughs> so it is .net. Yep. That's where the shirt will be. Um, Loa Boots sponsors me with my footwear, which is it actually saved me from being completely penetrated by that bullet Mm -hmm. because they had a thick rubber patch right where the bullet hit my ankle. It hit hard enough that from the blunt force trauma it split my tendon, but it didn't penetrate that thick rubber on the boot.
0: Well, that's good. Then you weren't bleeding and more of an issue. And it's always good
1: um targets usa is another one they make their targets in alaska which means they have to put them into a little box a flat rate box to ship them which also means they're super portable Mm
2: -hmm.
0: yes jason makes good products and they fit in buckets they're really good yes which i hate to i would hate to be the guy delivering that i mean it's just like the guy who delivers your (laughs) bullets. it's like delivering ammo yeah it's just like what the hell is so heavy it's not my fault that fits with the box.
1: And supervelammunition.com, my discount code is KETA, where you'll get 5% off your order. And they actually just got back in for the first time in like two years. Thousand rounds, a, a thousand rounds in a box that you can buy now.
0: Instead of the 500 rounders. Right. Oh, or smaller amounts. Mm-hmm. That's good. It's finally glad to see those people at uh, like uh, Mike's a really cool dude at Supervel. Yes. It's finally good to see them. They've been taking care of everybody during this whole pandemic. of They have. The BYOP. Um, mm-hmm. You know, yes, you had to get on the email <clears throat> and be on it when you want ammo, but it was still available and they weren't price gouging everybody. Right. Yeah, they
1: stayed pretty consistent with their prices.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I really like the, I shoot the 147 grain Hush Puppy for a competition and I have literally never had a malfunction due to ammo due to ammo. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think there's yeah, a couple it's more. really high quality,
1: mm-hmm.
0: really high quality, really high quality ammo.
1: Oh, Hunter's HD Gold. How hey, could I forget Brian? We've been talking about him the whole show,
0: right? You can't forget Brian.
1: Like I know I have more sponsors than this.
0: <laughs> Sorry, Brian. <laughs> it's okay. He'll be listening.
1: <laughs> no, I, I really genuinely love my Hunter's HD gold glasses. Mm-hmm. I get that extra 30 minutes of daylight in the morning, in the evening, especially if I'm shooting a major match and they start really early. The sun's not up yet. I can see and everyone else can't.
0: Oh, I love the hunters are so fantastic. I love mine
1: and I have the rubies and the golds and Mm -hmm. depending where I am I use both so if I'm in the desert I'm going to use the rubies if I'm in Wisconsin with the green grass and the lower climate or lower temperatures I'm going to wear the golds
0: Mm -hmm. Brian I actually I think I had to actually call him and talk to him about that on the phone be like do I want these rubies he's like no you don't live in the right area for that I'm like okay Thanks for not. But I travel a lot,
1: so I need both. Oh yes,
0: you do, not me, not me. (laughs) I mean, you'll especially need those uh, rubies when you go out to cameo this year. Well, twenty twenty two. When I go out to what? Cameo in Colorado for production nationals.
1: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: Just so weird. This year was in May. Now it's going to be all the way in October.
1: Yeah, and they have a limitation on their magazine capacity so i'm wondering how that's going to
0: work i think you just can't buy them you can bring them. it's just like california you take your stuff and you leave with it but brian will know more gotcha. Bri- brian's my expert on traveling with firearms in his in his uh, mystery van
1: <laughs> yeah in, in california you get something like two weeks a two-week pass for whatever you're bringing in if you're there for a competition
0: right Now, Keto. where can the good people, where can the good people, the internet find you?
1: 180 firearms training on Instagram, 180 firearms training on Facebook. You can email me 180 firearms training at gmail.com. I also have a website that needs to be redone. So don't go to that.
0: (laughs) It may or not be may or may not be out of date by the time you look at it. People. Right. (laughs) It's been a blast. I appreciate it again, Keita, for you coming on. It's greatly appreciated. Um, Until next time, guys, get everyone, get out and do the things and we'll catch you on the next one.